we bless you once again this morning, Lord. It is written that, Lord, you sent your word and your word healed us. We are grateful, Lord, for your word that gives us life, sustain us, Lord, and teach us things to come, give us wisdom as well, and teach us to know God and to lead a godly life according to his grace, will, and purpose. As we come together, Lord, to look in your word, we pray for the guiding and the leading expression of the Holy Spirit, who is the teacher, who can tell us things pertaining to heaven and to lead us in the way we should go. Bless us, Lord, as we come together. We pray that, Lord, you give us a good focus and that in the end Christ will be exalted. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. Today, the title is Our Hope for Resurrection Part 2. There is a subtitle, The Resurrection Program. It's a program. It's God's program. In part two, we looked at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, which we'll be revisiting this morning as well. And we looked at the potential consequences in case the speculation about denying the resurrection were true. What would be the consequences, Paul is telling us, in case Christ did not rise again? The Bible says our faith would be futile, number one. Number two, we would still be in our sins, number three. All those who have died in the Lord will be lost. So, overall, we will be the most miserable, pitiable, is the expression, people. And on top of that, the greatest and perfect liars. Because we go around telling people Christ rose again, and he didn't. And then, I'm looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And then, triumphantly, in verse 20, Paul cries out, a shout of victory, but now Christ is risen. And then he goes on to give evidence that people who saw him, the risen one, many of them were still alive at the time when he was writing. And he gave evidence and gave names. Well, the enemies of God also had evidence, the empty tomb. Because they say they bribed people and gave a lot of money and say you should tell people that his disciples have stolen the body. And the Bible says that lies continues to deal, till this day. The empty tomb is a problem. Is a problem. There was a Jewish scholar, I don't remember his name again, 
And uh, not Josephus, not that one. He's quoted Pincus, etc. Okay, that's the one. Thank you. That's the one. <laughs> that's the one. That's the one. That man investigated and wrote about Christ's resurrection. And for him, he did not even look at the tomb. He said, without resurrection, there's no Christianity altogether. And it's true. Because as we say last time, Christianity stands or falls with resurrection. We are baptized in death and resurrection of Christ. The Holy Supper is all about celebration, his death. The newness of life in Romans chapter 6 is all about Christ's risen again. The hope to come. He said, whenever you do this, you announce his death until he returns. So without that, there's no Christianity. That in itself is solid evidence that your faith is not founded on mere speculations and cunningly devised and fables. I call that factual doctrine. Take it from me. Factual doctrine. It's not just a doctrine because just doctrine means nothing. A doctrine can be false. But that's based on a fact that Christ rose again. In verse 20, but now Christ is risen. We've seen the consequences of all that. And we will continue today and see where we go. Remember the subtitle? God's resurrection program. It's a program. It's a whole program. Let's start with the first reading. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 from verse 35 to 34, 50 to 58. So 35 to 34, to 50, 35 to 44. <clears throat> English, 30, 50, 40, 15. Lord, help us. <laughs> but some will say, how are the dead raised up? And with what body they come? Legitimate question. How are the dead raised up? And with which body? Foolish one, what you sow is not made alive until it dies. And what you sow, you do not sow that body that shall be, but mere grain, perhaps wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he pleases. And to each seed its own body. Verse 39, all flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one kind of flesh of man, another flesh of animals, another of fish, and another of birds. There are also celestial bodies and terrestrial bodies, but the glory of the celestial is one, and the glory of the terrestrial is another. Verse 40, 41. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars. For one star differs from another star in glory. So also is the resurrection of the, of, of the dead. 
the body is sown in corruption, it is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. 44. It is sown in a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. Verse 50. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit in corruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible and shall be changed. 53. For this incorruptible must puts on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? 56. The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thank be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Amen. One of the biggest problems when it comes to resurrection, and the question is legitimate, with which body? The problem, the biggest problem here as far as I see it, is the confusion between eternal life and immortality and incorruption. That's where the confusion lies. Not from the Bible, but from our lack of understanding. In any case, both the sinners and the saints will be clothed with immortality. But only the saints have eternal life in Christ. That's a huge difference in this discussion. Why will both the saints and the sinners be clothed with immortality. It's because eternity is unending. This ones will spend eternity with God. And this ones will spend eternity without God. But you see, this body here 
is perishable, can be consumed. Both must clothe immortality in order to be able to face eternity. Those who will go to hell will be tormented eternally. There is no such thing as annihilation that people at some we just disappeared. You see, that is a very pernicious, satanic doctrine. Even amongst themselves, they disagree. Because part of the people who support that theory, they say, after this life here, when someone dies, that's it. There's nothing else after that. And they say, except for those who receive Christ. Then they come up with another equally satanic doctrine of conditional immortality. In that case, they say immortality is conditioned by the fact that you received Christ. And if you don't receive Christ after this life here, when you die, that's it. That annihilation. That's it for you. And then you have the other side supporting what is known as universalism. God is so good. There is no way he can punish people eternally. And they come up with a rather confusing dichotomy and distinction between eternal punishment and punishing eternally. Someone asked the question, what's the difference between three-month punishment and being punished for three months? So you see, all those things are made up in order to make people feel good about themselves, in order for people to feel comfortable about themselves, to say, oh, God is so good. There's no way God can punish eternally. Well, it's appealing, it sounds good, but the Bible speaks of forever and ever. That's what the Bible says. That people who will go in hell, that will be forever and ever. Why is that? That is because the person being offended, God is eternal. You see, if you try to kill me, well, you may be arrested, and uh, you can get away of it if you get a good solicitor. You can claim self-defense. But if you try to kill the queen, wow, that's a different matter. So you see, the punishment is proportionate to the person being offended. What do you think if God is being offended? The Bible says what would happen if we neglect a so great salvation? 
the Bible asks the question, who taught you how to flee the wrath to come? Well, however good people may feel, it doesn't change the reality. God has spoken. There's no other name by which we shall be saved. God has provided. Notice that. The sacrifice is eternal and perfect. Jesus Christ. Lamb without blemish. But the high priest himself is also eternal. The realm here is eternity. Salvation is eternal. The gospel is eternal. The punishment is eternal. So, we shall all be prepared to face, to face eternity. Why incorrupt, corruption must be clothed with incorruption? It's because of this body. This body, if it's thrown in fire, it will be consumed. At the resurrection when Christ comes, our bodies will be changed. To be clothed with incorruptibility, the same body Jesus Christ had. Now, careful here. Because of the distinction between a natural body and a spiritual body, the Bible says it is so natural, raised spiritually, people confuse again there. That, that spiritually means spirits. No. Look at Christ. Many people fall in that confusion by thinking that Christ's resurrection was only spiritual. Even the disciples themselves thought they were seeing a ghost. He said, come and touch me. He was touchable. You can touch a spirit. That's the spiritual body we're talking about. It doesn't mean just a spirit like an angel. No. A spiritual body is an integrated reality of a transformed body indwelled fully by the Holy Spirit. That's what spiritual body means. Well, you know yourself, the distinction between a carnal person and a spiritual person. A spiritual person doesn't mean he's a spirit. No. He's a person filled with the Holy Spirit and led by the Holy Spirit. That's the same reality here. Very, very, very important that we understand these things. Because it is on these things that the Jehovah Witnesses, the Mormons, all those people are confusing people and people are completely lost. With which body are we going to be raised and go to meet the Lord? We shall be transformed. So, the believer receives eternal life by accepting the free gift of salvation obtained through repentance from sin and the redemption by the blood of Jesus Christ.
immortality and incorruptibility is received at the time of resurrection, the body and the soul are reunited and made immortal in order to be ready for eternity. For sinners, the reality of death, that is the body, and Hades, that souls, is explained in Revelation 20. We'll get there, God willing. The saint immortal body and soul are ready for the new heaven and earth. The sinner's immortal body and soul are ready for the lake of fire. Unquenched. That's what the Bible calls the second death. We will get there. This brings us to another question. Will sinners be punished eternally? I've already touched on that. So you have the biblical doctrine versus all this demonic doctrine, because that's what it is. Paul wrote to Timothy and mentioned the doctrines of demons. So you see humans, but those doctrines are demonically inspired. And they are clothed and packed, packaged within a very appealing theory of this, but they are denying the biblical truth. I've said that already, annihilation, etc. In Daniel chapter 12, verse 2, don't turn to it, I will quote it for you. Daniel chapter 12, verse 2, we read, And many of them that sleep in the dust of the, of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Both everlasting word here are the word forgive my pronunciation olam thank you you can see thumb up thank you in Hebrew that is a time and ending it's the idea of horizon you look and you cannot see the end of that Yes, there is an idea of a long time, but there's no the idea of limited time. It's eternal. You cannot see the end. It's unending. That's the word used there. Now, the universalist take the wicked words in the definition, and they say, oh, you see, the word also means long time, and they build the doctrine on that. But if you check the definition, the long time is really, really, really the last explanation on that, and by the way, time means time. Long time does not mean limited times. But the prime explanation is an ending time. A time for which you cannot see the end. That's the idea. Why comfort people with lies?
Oh yeah, I have a definition here. Olam. The vanishing point. Time out of mind. Past or future. Eternal, lasting, long time, perpetual. That's the definition of it. So the idea of living eternally or being punished eternally, it is well in the Bible. In Romans chapter 16, verse 26, we read, But now is made manifest, and by the scriptures of the prophet, according to the commandment of the everlasting gods, made known to all nations for the obedience of faith. Now, the everlasting God here, that's now the Greek words, because it's in the New Testament. Ionios is the word in Greek. Again, everlasting. Perpetual, past and future, eternal, forever, everlasting. In Matthew 25, verse, 20, verse 41, then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angel. Again, the same word. So there is a strong case for this in the Bible. As opposed to mere speculation to make people feel good. In fact, all those annihilation things, you know, is a clever way of teaching materialism. From Jean-Paul Sartre, after this reality, there's nothing. It's a clever way to try and spiritualize materialism and bring it in the church. In Revelation 14, verse 6, and I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel preached unto them that dwell on the earth. You see, again, the reason why salvation is everlasting and punishment is everlasting is because the gospel is everlasting. Those who accept it will have eternal life. Those who reject will be punished eternally. In verse 48, we have the distinction between Adam and Christ. Adam being natural, Christ being spiritual. Well, in Adam, we inherited of sin. In Christ, all are made alive again. The universalists are clinging onto that one, and they say, you see, the Bible does say, in Christ, all have made, are made alive. But the Bible says, to those who receive him, to those who believe in him, he has given the exousia, that is the Greek word for power, privilege, jurisdiction, right to become children of God. John 1 verse 12. You become children of God. Well, another argument is that In one of Christ's genealogies, it ends with Adam 
and it said, and Adam, son of God. And people say, oh, you see? We all descend from Adam. Adam is the son of God. You see, in that passage, it just referred to God as the creator, the father of the creation. But it's easy to say, um, Isaac Newton, the father of modern physics, we all understand what it means. The father of something. Isaac Watts, you see, that's another tricky bit in English. Isaac Watts, Watts John Newton, Isaac Newton. It's <laughs> they have one thing in common, they love Christ anyway. <clears throat> so, Death is the last enemy to be destroyed. Why? Because in the end, God will deal with the problem of sin. At the moment we're struggling, God is helping us by the Holy Spirit to fight against sin. But one day, we will be delivered from its presence altogether. And the sting of death is sin. The wages of sin is death. So in the end, God was, will deal with sin and death. And all of them will be thrown in the lake of fire. And there will be no more sin. Delivered from its presence altogether. Hence the triumph. Oh, death, where is your victory? Death has been swallowed up. So, believers in Christ, we look beyond the grave. We look beyond the grave. Even if our outward man is perishing, our inward man is being renewed daily. For we look not to visible things, but to invisible things. What we are shall be revealed. There was this story of a very elderly woman. A young man was very on fire with the gospel and was comforting her. And the young evangelist say, Grandma, do you know that one day we shall... We shall see Jesus as he is. The lady kept quiet for a moment and said, that's not the whole story. And we shall be like him. So, death is not annihilation. In the Bible, the word death is used at least in three different meanings. It's moral separation from God through sin. The Bible said we were dead in trespasses and sin. That's death. It is the separation of the body from the soul and spirit. We don't need to give evidence for that. I was told the story of one cemetery somewhere in this world. When people enter that cemetery, when they go out, they come out of it, there is a very big script there. 
it says, we used to be like you, you will become like us. When I gave part one, I thought this topic was not popular. But after the service, quite few people blessed the Lord and they say, I needed to hear that. It's lacking in the church. I say, oh, so it's popular. Let's give part two then. <laughs> we used to be like you, you will become like us. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. It is appointed unto man to die. I'm leaving the bit, the other bit. It is appointed to die. And last time we said, the most important element in an appointment is what? Were you here? What did we say, anyone? What's the most important element of an appointment? The time. You late to the GP, the first question is, what time is your appointment? It is appointed to every man to die. There is a time. You must have heard of this missionary story. The young man running, going to his pastor, and say, I don't understand. Death is following me wherever I go. I'm going to Manchester. After he left, death came, and the pastor said, why are you annoying? My member. Death replied, I have an appointment with him in Manchester tomorrow. <laughs> you can't escape. It is appointed unto man to die. One day, they will talk about you and me in the way you talk about those who have departed. It's a reality. People don't want to hear that, especially young people. But it's a reality. Baby goes, young people go, the elderly go. It doesn't matter. When, not if. Let's prepare to meet God. Last Sunday, we came to the church. Was it last Sunday or the other Sunday? In a taxi, started a conversation with uh, the taxi man who is from former Yugoslavia. Talk about the gospel. And he said to me, he said, um, there is a lot of speculation about death. But I can listen if someone comes back from the dead. I say, are you serious? He says, yes. I say, you're absolutely right, because you can explain to me all about former Yugoslavia because you've been there. So if you meet with someone who has been there, come back, you will listen to him. He say, absolutely. I say, have you heard of Jesus? He died and rose again. He quickly shifted on something else. He said, oh, you just need to be good to see God. I say, well, it's not a matter of being good. It's a matter of being perfect. Is being perfect. It's not being good. You know, we all kind 
you know, at different levels. Is that enough to go to heaven? No. We have to be perfect. Who can? None. Only Christ. He was really challenged by that. But you can see how people are completely locked into falsehood and doctrine and thing and he was confused because sometimes people have invited him in the church and, and they tell him you have to have some money for God and you know he works hard for his family, he's discouraged lots of misleading doctrines okay First Thessalonians chapter 4 please First Thessalonians chapter 4, we read from verse 13 to 18. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. If we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so will God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive will remain and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words. That's the comfort. That's the blessed hope. Notice the introduction. Why was this written? So that you do not sorrow as those who do not have Hope. When someone departs, it's very sad because of the physical separation and the memories. But we have this comfort that we will meet again. Not to depart again. That's our blessed hope. We look beyond the grave. We look beyond visible things, temporary things. You see, unbelievers have their own way of mourning and expressing sorrows. It shouldn't be so for us, for the believers. It is sad. And we are allowed to cry. Jesus cried when his friend died. It's okay. But we should not do it in a pagan's way. Do it in proportion. Especially if the one departing is a believer, you have all the comfort. Doesn't the Bible say precious is the death of the saints? To live is Christ, to die is again. Blessed those who die in Christ for their works, follow them. 
Christ is faithful, he will bring us back and we will live with him forever. Verse 16. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout. Now, in Revelation chapter 4, verse 1, the apostle John heard a voice like a trumpet. A voice like a trumpet. What did the voice say? Come up here. Come up here. That's the one we will hear. It's a call. It's a command to which we cannot resist. Belonging to Christ. He will recognize his Holy Spirit. Those who do not have his spirit are not his. As simple as that. As inconvenient as that may be. The spirit of Christ is the down payment. Is the guarantee that we belong to him. And that spirit will hear the shout, the command, come up here at the rapture. Make sure that you've given your life to Christ before it's too late. At that command, those sleeping in Christ, along with those still alive at that time, will be changed and caught up in the air to meet with the Lord forever. At the rapture, believers' body and soul are made incorruptible and immortal. We've said that. Christ returned with us. Okay. We're heading to the heart of the matter. After that, we go to heaven. Something happened to heaven, in heaven. We all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, the Bema. You can call that the reward time. Christ reward us now in order to present us before the Father. At the marriage supper, with the lamb. The bride is introduced. You and me. All the believers shining some like stars. A good brother said it will be a time for crowns. The quality and the glowing of it will depend on the material which is approved works from God. And then he says some will have crowns everywhere and some will have like small leads there. And some almost none save us through fire, the Bible says. Let's abound in the work. We will be rewarded one day. You go to work, it's hard. But you know that you will be rewarded at month end or weekends. God is not unjust. 
to forget your work and the love you've shown for the brethren. Carry on. Now, that happens. We are introduced to the fathers. We are united forever with the Lamb, Christ Jesus, the Lion and the Lamb. We are ready now to come back. Christ to judge, to rule in righteousness and you and me shall rule with him and govern this world. And when we come back at that time I'm now in Revelation chapter 20 I'm around verse 4 now. Something happens. Let's look at that together. Revelation chapter 20. And verse 4. This is at the visible return of Christ with his saints. Verse 4. And I saw thrones and they sat on them and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Remember we're talking about the resurrection program? Verse 6. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power, but they shall be priests, of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. Problem. Those who have been clothed with immortality shall never die again. They are with Christ. Some people have said that the first resurrection here will be completed, completed after the thousand years. Let's look at the passage again. Look at the end of verse 6. But shall be priest of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. So the resurrection program, the first resurrection, includes those who will reign with Christ for a thousand years. So the people who will complete the resurrection program will be the great tribulation saints. Those are the ones in verse 5. In verse 4, 
those who were beheaded by the Antichrist, those who were killed because of the testimony and witness to Jesus Christ, those will have the privilege, privilege of being raised and enter straight away in the millennium. But meanwhile, something happens. I think it's somewhere in chapter 7. Something happens. When John was being shown the souls of the people who were standing before the throne, John marveled in chapter 7 and he asked, who are these? And the angel replied, these are the ones who have washed their robes in the blood of the lamb and have made the robes whiter. So it's not just about being saved, it's also about daily working with the Lord in obedience. But you see, these saints here, their souls were standing before God, but their bodies were in the grave. Their bodies were in the grave. Where were they saying to God at that time? They were crying. They were crying not just for them, but for the other believers, the level of persecution and suffering on the earth from the Antichrist. And they say, Lord, how long again? It's so tough there, Lord. Do something. Deliver them, Lord. And they cry day and night. Do you know what? The level of persecution under the Antichrist will be the final element that will trigger the wrath of God. Because the persecution of believers will be unprecedented. And the Lord will say, wait, be patient. I know what I'm doing. Yes, but the Lord, how long? Look what is happening. And they're standing right in front of the Lord God. And the Lord say, wait, I know what I'm doing. And that will trigger the final wrath. Jesus Christ comes. First action. False prophet and the Antichrist are seized. Put straight away in the lake of fire. They will be the first resident, even not the devil, the Antichrist and the false prophet will be the first resident in the lake of fire. Then as Christ is coming back, those saints are resurrected their body, reunited with their soul, and they reign with Christ and we enter the millennium. At that time, the devil is seized, put in the bottomless pit for 1,000 years. Not yet the lake of fire. He is released after 1,000 and he tried to seduce people again. Then he's seized and thrown in the lake of fire, the Gehenna, the hell. Where the Antichrist and the false prophet are. 
Now comes the great white throne. Judgment. Books are open and then the book of life is open. And people are judged according to their deeds written in those books. But the final judgment depends on being or not being in the book of life of the Lamb. Why don't we read that together? Now, I'm going to read that first myself. Revelation chapter 20, and I'm reading from verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whose face the, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire, which is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So, now we have the Antichrist, the false prophet, the devil, death itself, Hades, Babylon the Great, all those residents, and their followers, those who rejected Christ's salvation. That is called the second death. So, the Bible emphasis is on the first resurrection and the second death. Because the first death avails very little. Because Christ says those who believe in him, though they die, he will raise them. So that's not a problem. It is the second death. We shall not come to that, to that judgment. We shall not come to that. But the first resurrection, the completion of the program resurrection, will be concluded with the resurrection of the saints of the great tribulation. And Christ is the first fruits. I told you the other day, is the idea in ancient Israel of someone harvesting and coming back with the sheaves, the first fruits, and waving his happy and dedicating that to God who has blessed, who has given, but it's also an indication that all the rest of the harvest and the fruit have been given by God and are of the same nature as the first fruits. Remember, Christ is referred to as the first fruits with an S at the end. The firstborn among the dead. 
That's the reason why Christ's resurrection is the guarantee, evidence that we will rise again with him and in him. Very, very, very important factual doctrine. Heading to the end. The resurrection program ends with the first resurrection followed by the second death. Second death, that is hell. Death and Hades are thrown in hell. Now, death is the idea of the grave, the bones, anything separated from God, etc. And the Hades is the idea of the souls of the lost, all those kinds of, all those things until God are all thrown to hell. I suggested to the songwriters this, born twice, die once, born once, die twice. Make a song for that. All rebels against God are judged and cast into the lake of fire. Where people think hell is fun, it's not fun. Even the people who worship the devil, they know that he is bad. But living side by side eternally is a different story altogether. Hell is not a joke. It's a reality. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, shall live. The day of salvation is today. Believe on the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. The Lord God overlooks the times of ignorance and proclaim, command even, to all people to repent because judgment is coming. Don't play with fire. Last Thursday, at our prayer times, we pray for those attending this church, maybe for years, but who are not saved. We prayed for them. Do not play with fire. Do not harden your hearts. Do not be too familiar with Christianity in the wrong way. Make sure you've given your life to Christ. Don't just accompany your spouse. Don't just accompany your parents. Everyone shall stand before God for himself. Make sure that you've given your heart, your life to Christ before it's too late. Friends, young and old. Do not just accompany your family members. Do not just come because you like the singing here. Do not just come because we don't force people to give money. Make sure that you give your life to Christ. Everyone should stand for himself. You might have heard this. One day, a goat became very frustrated. The goat had enough of being getting worried whenever he saw a foe approaching. 
And the goat say to himself, I want to be like a lion so that everyone can flee when they see me. And the goat went to make a costume like a lion and bought a nice perfume to smell like a lion, trained very hard to build up muscles and how to walk like a lion and decide to overcome fear and join the congregation of the lions. Did like lions, rode like lions. But you see, there was one thing that God did not know until he joined the congregation. That lions, when they play, they bite one another. And he had a very serious bite. To the amazement of everybody, they heard, man, oh. A goat. Bon appetit. <laughs> Food. Don't try to do like Christians. Give your life to Christ. Singing like Christian, talking like Christian, doing that won't avail. Won't get you to heaven. John the Baptist said, show by your deeds that your life has changed. Let's be serious. This is very serious. May the Lord bless you. Let's pray. I am appealing to anyone who is here who has not made peace with Christ to consider these things carefully and seriously, to make a commitment to Christ. This is a very serious commitment to live for Christ. It is free. You don't have to do anything. You just need to receive Christ in your heart. Repent from your sin and ask for forgiveness. Invite Christ to strengthen you and to help you to walk. To ask Christ to make you the kind of person he wants you to be for his glory. Loving Father, we bless you. Thank you, Lord, for the eternal gospel of our salvation. We bless your name, Lord. Call out to you in particular, Lord. Anyone who might be here who has not made that eternal peace with you. We pray that, Lord, you will challenge that heart even today. That peace will be made with you. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself before it's too late, Lord. Oh, dear brethren, we appeal to you to consider what you've heard and to make peace. And to those who have made peace with Christ, to carry on, to press on, to not grow weary, to continue courageously, leaning and trusting Christ who has made the promise. Is able to keep us from stumbling and to present us before without fault before God. Oh Lord, we bless you. Oh Lord, we return glory to you. We say thank you, Lord. We pray that Lord you continue.
to sustain us, Lord, in this journey. Help the weary, Lord. Maybe someone came here, Lord, this morning so down. But it is written in the multitude of my anxieties without me, within me, your comfort delight my soul. Lord, we pray that you raise us up. You are the answer. Strengthen, Lord, your people. Increase our faith in you, Lord. Make us to be serious believers, Lord, that we may listen, hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Bless us, Lord, as we depart from this place. Bless each and every one, Lord, and be the answer for those going through various challenges, Lord. We pray for the heartbroken, broken, Lord. We pray for the ill, sick people among us. May you bring healing. May you bring comfort, Lord. May you bring an answer, Lord. You are Jehovah Jireh. We love your presence, Jehovah Shammah. Bless your people as we return. Glory and thanksgiving to your name. We bless you, Lord, and we pray that you be with us in our time for fellowship. Bless the, the brethren at the conference and keep us safe in the days ahead. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for your patience and uh, may stay behind for time.